0: say the same things to you is no trouble for me and helpful for you but this passage has been very encouraging to my soul and i pray it would be yours as well so in american culture when when women get married they often change their last names and that process can create a lot of confusion at first right why is it that um when a when a woman gets married and she changes her last name that she sometimes will refer to herself by her old name. Why is that the case? So you finally got married, you want to change your you changed your last name, but you still sometimes will forget that you changed your last name. Why is that? Yeah, you had it for so long, right? I mean, even if you got married at eighteen for eighteen years, this has been your name, right? So yeah, you can you can have some confusion of someone identifying herself with her old identity, saying, I'm Debbie Smith, when she really meant to say, I'm Debbie Johnson. And in the Christian life, that can also happen. Christians sometimes mistakenly identify themselves with their old identity rather than their new ones. She might say, I'm Debbie's sinner, instead of saying, I'm Debbie saint. Have you ever heard a Christian brother or sister say something like, I'm just a wretch, I'm a worm, I'm a terrible person, I can do nothing right, I'm useless. That might seem like humility, but actually in reality it can be a denial of his or her new identity in Christ. And yeah, we do sing songs and that say things like, Saved a wretch like me, or such a worm as I. But the idea in those songs is, that's the condition that I was in when God saved me. Christian, you are no longer a wretch. You are no longer a worm. Yeah, Paul does call himself chief of sinners. He does say wretched man that I am. But even in that latter passage, in that passage, he dissociates himself with his sinful nature. You sin, yes. You do sin. Well, we want to make that very clear. We're not preaching sinless perfectionism here. You do sin, but that's not who you are. You're tempted by the devil, yes, but that's not whose you are. When you entered into a covenant with God through Christ, your slavery to sin ended. When he adopted you into his family, you stopped being the prodigal son, covered in pig slop and dirt. The father put his ring on you, and he thoroughly established your identity as a child of God. So be mindful of this confusion in identity, okay? An acknowledgement of who you are has an impact on how you act. Don't be your old self, be your new self. And that's the main thrust of this passage and this study. Be who you are, not who you were. Be who you are, not who you were. So immediately preceding our passage is the more familiar passage on the fruit of the Spirit. Let's read up to it, Galatians 5 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. So after contrasting the works of the flesh to the works of the Spirit, the main idea that, that Paul is getting at here is, be who you are, not who you were. Now we're going to work backward at this to to encourage moving from this mistaken identity to the right one. So first, let's focus on who you were, who you were. We're going to look at three identities that you had before Christ. And before Christ are the key words here, before Christ. What we're describing is what a Christ follower used to be. You might be here this morning and you're just either dragged here or you were checking it out and you are not yet following Jesus. And if that's the case, then listen closely, because these three things are not what you were, it's what you are today. But stay tuned, because there's good news for you, okay? So first, you were a sinner condemned by the law. A sinner condemned by the law, that's in verse 23. And the idea is more implied uh, here than explicit in verse 23, but it's really foundational to this whole conclusion, After describing the fruit of the Spirit, Paul concludes, against such things, there is no law. We're going to unpack what that means later on in the study. But for right now, we're going to recall that this is going back to a larger part of, uh, a larger argument, rather, of the Christian's relationship with the law. So in chapter 2, verse 16, it says this. Galatians 2, 16, Paul writes... Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So listen, if you are trying to be right with God, go to heaven and have eternal life by being a good person, you need to stop. You need to stop. No one can be justified. No one can be considered not guilty by outward acts of obedience. The good things that a person does aren't really good if they're not done in faith. And furthermore, even if they were good, let's say that hypothetically an unbeliever could do good deeds that were actually good, it still wouldn't cancel out the bad stuff that he has done. In chapter 3, verse 10, look at Galatians 3.10, the author says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be anyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. So, if you're going to try to be right with God, via your own obedience, then you need to obey every single law perfectly, lest you be cursed. Is there anyone here who has obeyed God's law perfectly? Oh, I shouldn't raise my hand. I didn't mean to leave my hand up there. I haven't. Nobody here has, right? Then in chapter 3, verses 23 through 24, Galatians 3, 23 through 24, we read, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So before Christ came and it was revealed that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in him alone, the law could only point you to your need for salvation. That's all the law could do is show you that you needed salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. God's law revealed that you were a wicked sinner, that you were worthy of God's wrath and justice. And again, if you don't believe in Christ, that's who you are now, today. You know you've sinned unless you're lying to yourself, you know you've sinned and you now know that it is, if, if someone is to be right with God via obedience, then he needs to obey perfectly. And you know you haven't done that. You know you haven't done that. And so if you don't believe in Christ, then because of your sin, you also know that you deserve God's wrath. But again, stay tuned. There's good news. There's good news. We'll tell you later. Later. So you were a sinner condemned by the law. You were also, in your outline, a slave to sin led by the flesh. A slave to sin led by the flesh. Paul goes on in verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Later uh, in the study, we're going to talk about what that new reality means. But again, what it implies first is that before you crucified the flesh, Christian, you were led by it. You were led with its passions and desires. We see earlier in this passage in uh, chapter 5, verse 17, that the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So either, either you desire what the spirit wants or you desire what the flesh wants. That's what's going on in any given moment in a Christian life, Christian's life. You either desire what the spirit wants or you desire what the flesh wants. And before you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, what was the only thing that you desired before you had the Holy Spirit dwelling in you? The things of the flesh. You got it. The only thing he wanted before the Spirit was what the flesh wanted. And then verses 19 through 21 explain what it is that the flesh wants. Now, the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. This is what we wanted before we had the Spirit through Christ. And then in verse 21, we see the result of being led by the flesh. Look at verse 21. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In Romans 8, Paul makes a very similar argument, saying in Romans 8, 7, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And in verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8.8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And in verse 13, and if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Furthermore, Jesus says in John 8.34, John 8.34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin so before Christ you were a slave to sin you were led by the flesh and as a result of that you deserved death and if you'll allow me to belabor the point unbelieving friends that is still you right now Christian you were a sinner condemned by the law that's who you were You were a sinner condemned by the law, a slave to sin, led by the flesh, and you were also, in your outline, a conceited, divisive person. A conceited, divisive person. In verse 26, Paul's exhortation to the church is, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, after making this whole argument to the Galatian Christians, to not walk according to the flesh but instead walk according to the spirit his exhortation to them is don't be conceited don't provoke each other don't envy each other it seems like a very specific admonition to tag on here Um, maybe this was a known issue in the church in galatia as a matter of fact if you look at verse 15 paul warns them but if you bite and devour one another Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So it's quite possible that, that pride and divisiveness were an issue in that church. But don't we all struggle with that to a degree? Don't we all struggle with pride and divisiveness? That word conceited means to be boastful and arrogant, to want vain glory for oneself. We're, we're prone to some of that. We're prone to that in some degree, okay? What, what are some examples of, of even Christians um, wanting to boast and wanting glory for themselves? What are some examples of what that could look like, even in a Christian's life? Someone, uh, you can usually get those, they themselves up because they have so much knowledge mm-hmm. of the Word of God. Amen. Right on. So Lucretia pointed out um, those, especially ironically, like the reformed Christians who have come into uh, higher doctrines that others have not. We have this tendency to be puffed up and, and, and think that everyone else is beneath us and get angry at those who who haven't come to the conclusions that we just came to two minutes ago. Right. Like this is our this is our tendency. Ricky. Yeah, so uh, being prideful when having some level of victory over sin, which is ironic, right? I'm on day 147 of blah, 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 right? Like, praise God. But you can make that a boastful thing, right? Daniel. Is, what I'm most opposed to do is like, it's a, gift of the, it's a gift of the Lord. I'd say also, like, if somebody, if somebody has done good works, like, has, like, is giving to the poor or doing all these good things, they can also be prideful like it's like a gift from god usually the gifts of the lord that he gives us to give honor to him that's how we can kind of turn it to ourselves yeah so even like um doing good things we can be boastful about uh, i did this this weekend pastor uh rollo told the story before someone who doesn't go to this church anymore it's been years and years now so you don't have to think about who it was but it was like hey uh pastor i gave three thousand today i was like who asked like i you know praise the lord but who asked you (laughs) that you did that so yeah even things like that can become for us a temptation to be conceited and want vainglory and we are all prone to this to some degree but the point we're making is that's not who we are that's who we were that's who we were what about provoking each other right it's this idea in uh, in the greek word here is challenging each other to combat that's what provoking each other means. And I don't know that the Galatian Christians were literally challenging each other to combat. but So it's not necessarily physical. But you get the idea from that picture. Aren't we prone to picking fights, um, whether that's in person or on social media? Again, what are some examples of how even Christians might be prone to picking fights with each other? What might that look like? Yeah, theological debates. Theological debates are fine, but sometimes we want to do it to just like get our our licks in and stuff like that. Lou, right. So doing doing the right thing, which is teaching a brother doctrine, but kind of doing it sharply, doing it impatiently with them, right, and trying to rile up an argument or something like that. So again, that's not who we are. That's who we were. What about envying each other? The particular Greek word is, is used only here in the Bible, only in this spot, and it's talking about being bitter about somebody else's success. Do you ever have What are some examples of how Christians might be envious of someone else's success? Michael, uh, what about it? Yeah, right, right. Oh, I'm so happy for you. So Michael's talking about marriage and how, how marriage is lauded as it marriage is a good thing. God created. It's absolutely good and it's God willing. That should be something we should do. But sometimes in singleness you can start to start feeling bitter or envious that other people who are less attractive than you, I'm just kidding. They're getting married. This doesn't seem right. Right? So yeah, that's a good example. That's a good example. What's another one more example of um how Christians can be envious about someone else's success? Yeah, truck. Yeah, someone uh, material wealth, their success, their career success, and you're like, man, why did they get that and I don't, right? Yeah, good call. So we do have again a tendency to these things. Um, some other examples. When someone is praised for doing something in church while all of your hard work goes unnoticed. Or when someone is put forth for pastor or deacon, but not you. Or when other people get invited to someone's house, but you don't. All of these things are works of the flesh, but that's not who we are. That's who we were. That's who we were. So now the following question naturally arises, but... Pastor Ed, if that's not who I am, then why do I continue to struggle with these things? It's because, well, let me ask you. Why is that the case? You're saying, if this is not you anymore, then why do you keep struggling with those things as a true Christian? Ricky. Ricky. Mhm. still growing my spirit. Right on. So I'm not going to be old tomorrow. Just Right on. Yeah, so um, when you were first saved, Ricky, if I'm understanding you're right, you right, you were a baby, a spiritual baby. Um, and that's actually right. Like y- even in the Bible it says you're still drinking milk. You should be eating meat. So there is that analogy in the scripture of you're actually growing – into spiritual adulthood. Good. Why else? Why else, if it's true that this is not who you are anymore, why do you always act like it is you, even though it's not you? Yeah, Steve. Because sin is always going to be in our flesh. Yeah. But now we more and more increasingly will seek to please God and not to please ourselves. Right on. So you have sin in the flesh, but more and more, we will will seek to please God and not ourselves. That's a good answer. Uh, It's because even though you're a new person in christ you're a new person your old person your flesh remains until you die or until christ returns and that's why in ephesians chapter 4 verses 22 through 24 it paul exhorts them in this way ephesians 4 22 through 24 to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The old self, thank God, is dying. The new self is being renewed. When you die, your old self, when you physically die, your old self, your body of death will be left behind and your true self will go to be with the Lord. So though we struggle with the old self and though we are responsible for going back to our old selves, that's not who we are. So who are we? Who you are, second part of your outline. Three identities that we have in Christ. The first is a saint freed from the law. You're a saint freed from the law. Look again at the end of verse 23. Against such things, there is no law. He's just listed the fruit of the Spirit and says, Against such things, there is no law. John Calvin is very helpful here. Here's what he says on this verse. Some understand these words as meaning simply that the law is not directed against good works. But Paul's real meaning is deeper and less obvious. Namely, that where the Spirit reigns, the law has no longer any dominion. By molding our hearts to his own righteousness, the Lord delivers us from the severity of the law so that our intercourse with himself is not regulated by its covenant, nor our consciences bound by its sentence of condemnation. Yet the law continues to teach and exhort and thus perform its own office, but our subjection to it is withdrawn by the spirit of adoption. The only way he tells us in which this is accomplished is when the Spirit of God obtains dominion, we quote. So before, we were con- before, before Christ, we were condemned by the law. We were under the heavy yoke of the law. It could not save us. It could only make us realize that we needed a Savior. And then God gave his only Son to die on the cross for sinners like us. And all who believe in Christ are forgiven of their sin. All who believe in Christ are freed, in one sense, from the law. Romans 7.6 says this, Now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now, that does not mean that we do not need the law. We need the law to teach us by the Holy Spirit what is pleasing to God and what is sin. We need the law for that. But here's the key difference. The key difference is the law is no longer something that is external to us, pointing at us and telling us where we fall short and condemning us. That's what it was like before, but that's not what it's like now. Now the law is written where for the believer? on our hearts the law is written on our hearts and now the spirit is conforming us to Christ likeness which is nearly synonymous with perfect obedience to the law of God because that's what Christ did internally and externally motivated by love and so while we are to work out our own salvation the main actor in our sanctification is God the Holy Spirit that's how we're free we are free from the law in that way. God's law is not burdensome to us anymore. God's law is liberating. As the Holy Spirit makes us less like ourselves and more like Christ, we become increasingly obedient to the law of God. So it's not only for our for God's glory, but it's also for our joy. It's also for our freedom. What's an example, uh, church, of how obeying the law of God is actually freeing, it's liberating. What's an example of that? Yeah, one. Well, it's liberating in the sense that like we're not um we're not like let's say this. Uh, we're we're not like with Christ, like we're not like slaves of sins anymore. Mm-hmm. So there's that aspect to it. And as a result of being saved. So like following god's laws we're not like um we're not like due to to reap the consequences of lawlessness Good, okay, yeah so in christ we're no longer slaves to sin we can only do our master's bidding and also um you're not you're not uh prone you know what's the word i'm thinking of you're not due the consequences of sin Is that what you're yeah. saying okay amen good yeah andrew Yeah. A, a very clear guide for all of your actions and then also when like, they have been the circle of blessing, you are blessed as the serpents of the covenant, like if you're living in God's will, can bless your life but also live in a way for more, way more safe and patient. Right on, like there's this aspect of what you're saying, the first thing is that you don't have to com- come up with your own moral system, God has already revealed that to us according to his character and then it's also like you're saying, when you obey you're blessed, right? Like, the freedom that people want today is like the freedom that is found in judges. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. But what was, like, what was judges, what was the period of the judges like? It was pain. It was dark. It was terrible. It was awful. That's what it looks like for everyone to just do what's right in their own eyes, okay? So, yes, you have freedom. We are free to love. We are free to obey, and not, and not just obey, but enjoy it and to delight in it. To be able to actually say honestly, like in Psalm 119, Oh, how I love your law. It's it's my delight, you know. So it's for our joy and freedom as well. Christian, you are a saint freed from the law. You are also now a slave of Christ, freed from the flesh. A slave of Christ, freed from the flesh. Verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. All Christians belong to Jesus Christ. So we weren't freed from slavery to no longer have a master. We were freed from slavery to a good master, Jesus Christ. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says in 1 Corinthians 3.23, you belong to Christ. And later in 1 Corinthians 7.22, he describes a Christian as a bondservant of Christ. And that word translated bondservant really just means slave. But it implies, and rightfully so, that we are slaves voluntarily. While someone could be a slave of another person and hate it, there are no slaves of Christ who hate being his slave. And that's because a slave of Christ understands what is said in the next verse in 1 Corinthians 7. You were bought with a price. Christ purchased us with his own blood, saving us from our sins. And similarly, in Paul's introduction in his letter to the church at Rome, he introduces himself as, Romans 1.1, a servant of Christ Jesus. So if you are a slave of Christ, if you belong to Christ... Galatians 5.24 says, You have crucified the flesh. You've crucified the flesh. Romans 6.6 describes it like this. Romans 6.6 We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So when we believed in Jesus Christ, we joined him in his crucifixion. Our old selves were crucified with him. Just as he died, we died. And then just as he rose, we rose. Our flesh was crucified with Christ, and we were given new life. Other passages describe the crucifying of the flesh as being done by God for us. But this verse in Galatians says that those who belong to Christ have themselves crucified the flesh. Now, ultimately, we know that it was God who did it. But when we repented and when we believed in Jesus, that resulted in the crucifixion of our flesh, the putting to death of our flesh. The flesh was crucified, verse 24 says, with its passions and desires. Passions and desires. Commentaries differ on what the difference is between those two words, passions and desires. But it may possibly be that the word passions is that kind of passive inclination towards something and desire is like actively pursuing that so for example it's one thing to say like chocolate ice cream and it's a different thing to actually want to go out and get some that may be the distinction between the two and in our flesh we both liked sin and we wanted to go after it that's our passions and desires and we often did do that but that flesh that used to enslave us has been put to death. Amen. And yes, we still do sin. But brothers and sisters in Christ, we never have to sin. Before, before Christ, we were not able to not sin. That's who we were before. But now, while we were still able to sin, we are also now able to not sin. The Christian is able to sin and able to not sin. And one day, we will not be able to sin, thank God. We are able, by God's help, to walk by the Spirit and live as a slave of Christ. Isn't that marvelous news? Christian, you are a saint freed from the law. You are a slave of Christ, freed from the flesh. And thirdly, you are a Spirit-led follower. A, spirit, a Spirit-led follower. Verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is in contrast with the flesh being crucified. This is the opposite of this. The flesh is for all intents and purposes dead. It's crucified. It's bleeding out. So we don't live by it. We don't live by the flesh. Instead, we live by the Spirit. And that's the life that we are now living as Christ followers. Life by the spirit and if that's the case or rather we should say because that's the case verse 25 let us also keep in step with the spirit keep in step this is a military term just imagine marching with a platoon of soldiers everyone's in step with one another your job in this platoon is not to lead it's to follow along in cadence and similarly the holy spirit leads your march so keep in step with him so, in contrast with a conceited, provoking, and envious person in verse 26, the Christian ought to be humble. The Christian ought to be peaceful. The Christian ought to be content. That's just one example uh, in line with the example that Paul gives. Well, what are some ex- other examples of walking in step with the Spirit? What would that look like in a Christian's life? Oh. A- Good, obeying the word of God, leading you into all truth. Good. What are some other examples, Bonnie? Reading uh, the word, praying, worshiping. Good. I think in a broader context, you're in line with what you're both saying. Keeping in step with the Spirit means bearing the fruit of the Spirit, as we just saw earlier in this passage. Keeping in step with the Spirit means bearing the fruit of the Spirit, as opposed to the works of the flesh. So how do you do that? Obedience. Don't go against what the Spirit is doing in you by the works of the flesh. Go with what the Spirit is doing in you by bearing the fruit that he is working out in you. Brothers and sisters, Christians are not on autopilot. We don't bear the fruit of the Spirit simply just by sitting around doing nothing. We bear the fruit of the Spirit by obeying Him. And here's how it works. The Holy Spirit inspired the writing of God's Word. Everything in this book is inspired by this same Holy Spirit. The revelation from God about who He is, about what He's done, and what He expects of us. When we read God's Word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit helps us to understand it rightly. Not merely in concept, but in application to our own lives. And then he gives us the desire to obey God's word. And he gives us the strength to actually do it. Philippians 2.13, after he says, work out your own salvation, he says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The person of the Trinity who is working in us both to will and to work, is the Holy Spirit. So he gives us the strength to obey, but he also gives us the desire to obey. So that's what it looks like to keep in step with the Spirit. Is it possible, Christian, for us to read the Word and refuse to apply it? It is. It is. And that's called not keeping in step with the Spirit, but instead, walking by the flesh. That's why we... We need this exhortation to keep in step with him. That's why we need this exhortation. Keep up with the Spirit as he leads you to follow Christ. And what that implies is you need to know your Bible. Why? Why does that imply that you need to know the Bible if you want to walk in step with the Spirit? So you don't sin against the Holy God. Amen. Other thoughts on that? Daniel. Yeah. What other wisdom are you going to get? Walking in what you think is right, right? What are some, let's, let's some examples of thoughts that you had, even as a Christian, that weren't biblical? It's just something that you grew up with. So I'll give you an example. Like you tell your kid, don't start fights, but finish them, right? That sounds, that sounds good, but is it biblical? What are some other examples that sound right? Yeah, what's your name again, brother? Austin. Austin, yes. Yeah, just be nice to everyone, which implies, you know, don't, don't judge. Like, don't, yeah, good. Lou. God helps those who help themselves. I, I'm sure we all at some point, unless you were just raised with good doctrine, believe stuff like that, right? Um, my, well, I, I don't want to call her out. A parent of mine who's female, <laughs> she would never say this now, but earlier in her walk, she suggested that it's better to live with someone before you marry them. And that's just, again, Christian immaturity, or maybe she wasn't even saved then. She's not sure, right? So these are things that sound, in the Christian's mind, if they're not looking at God's word, they sound plausible, right? So we can deceive ourselves, right? So there is a sense in which the Spirit leads us into obedience simply with a law that's written on our hearts, even without reading the Bible. So the Christian may know, for example, that he ought not lust over another person, even without reading the commandment that you shouldn't do that. However, we still have this old self clawing at us. We still have our flesh. And so even now we can deceive ourselves. Another example is that there may be genuine Christians, yet immature Christians, who believe that homosexuality and transgenderism is okay within the confines of the new covenant because they heard that there is no longer male nor female. They may wrongly conclude that the rule of love, God, and love neighbor should just make us accepting of all lifestyles. Is that plausible that a Christian, a true Christian, could be misled to think that? Of course it is. Of course it is. So a simple understanding of love God and love neighbor and a a lack of understanding of the fruit of the Spirit may, may lead people to all sorts of sin because all of us are prone to errant thinking. All of us are prone to being influenced by the world, which is why there are warnings about loving the world. So being led by the Spirit does not mean that you can just shelve your Bibles. On the contrary, being led by the Spirit is going to give you a greater desire for your Bible, a greater appetite to feed on God's holy word. And the more that you know the Bible, as you're led by the Spirit, the more he will help you to understand what is good, and what is evil. And the more he's going to enliven you to the obedience of the law. So, know your Bible. It is saddening how many Christians have not read the whole Bible. We're not saying that if you haven't read your whole Bible, you're not saved. That's not what we're saying. But if we truly believe that all of this is breathed out by God and profitable to make you more like Jesus Christ, then why on earth aren't all Christians clamoring to read or listen to every word of it? Well, we know why. It's because of the flesh. That's why we need to be reminded, keep in step with the Spirit. Learn by Him as you read the Bible. Change by Him by applying what you read in mind, in attitude, and action. So, Christian, you were a sinner condemned by the law, a slave to sin, led by the flesh, a conceited, divisive person. But now you are a saint, freed from the law, a slave of Christ, freed from the flesh, a spirit-led follower. And if you're not a Christian, as we were hinting to earlier, you are all of the former and none of the latter. And as a result, If you were to die today, then you would go to a place of torment where you would await your final judgment. And the just judgment is going to be eternal damnation. But maybe today, maybe right now, is the moment of your salvation. Jesus Christ, God's Son, went willingly to the cross on behalf of sinners like you and me. He was punished for the sins of all those who believe in him and He rose from the grave victorious over sin and death. Will you believe in him today? And the moment that you do, the moment that you do, you will become all of the things that we are. You will be free. For God's people, just some final points of application. Have a right understanding of who you are and whose you are. Have a right understanding of who you are and whose you are. Why is it practically important for you to have a right understanding of who you are and whose you are? Why is that practically important? Emmy, and then Bonnie. Amen. So, Amy says, what you believe about yourself largely impacts your actions, right? Uh, Bonnie. Because it's very easy to, at least for me, I find that oftentimes if I am not walking right or if I'm not in the Word, I tend to question my, my faith. Mm-hmm. Going to the Word reinforces how I know that I will see by Christ. Great point. So, this, uh, tie, Bonnie's tying it into The assurance of salvation because if you're just looking at your attitude in your life every moment of every day you're going to question whether you're a christian or not but if you remember what christ did for you and who you became as a result of it then you're going to look at your sin differently good good yes you were a wretch christian but you're not a wretch anymore you were dead but you're alive you were a condemned sinner but now you're a saint You were a slave to sin, but now you're a slave of Christ. And yes, you were like the world. You were like the devil, but now you are being made more like Christ. If you allow the devil to lie to you about who you are and whose you are, you're going to be paralyzed. Your growth is going to be stunted, and your active participation in kingdom work is going to be minimal. You can Keep in step with the spirit, Christian. You can and you must. You can and you must and you will bear the fruit of the spirit. You will. By God's grace, you will. So don't think too highly of yourself, but also don't sell yourself short either. Understand what the Bible says about you. By God's grace, together with the rest of the church, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Pray continually that God is going to help you be who you are, and stop being who you were. Prioritize the word of God. It is through the Bible, it is through the Bible that the Spirit is going to renew your mind and transform you into the likeness of Christ. You may be incredibly busy, but it's incredibly worth it. Make time. You make time to eat every day, do you not? Make time to feast on the word of God. Also, teach others to be who they are and not who they were. Part of what Christ has commissioned us to do is teach disciples what does he tell us to teach them. Making disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Christ commands us to disciple others to observe all that Christ has commanded us. So parents, teach your children... Older men and women in the church teach younger men and women in the church. Everybody, speak the truth in love to this end. And pray for this to be accomplished. Pray for your pastors, that we would shepherd the flock to this end. Be mindful. Be mindful of whether your life right now looks like who you are or who you were. Using Paul's exhortation, just following it, are you all about yourself? Are you conceited? Are you taking an inordinate amount of selfies for the, for the world to enjoy? Are you trying to make a name for yourself? Are you going around picking fights and causing disharmony over secondary issues? Are you envious of other people? If you are, ask God to help you. Stop being like your old self and be more like Christ. Repent of your sins and follow him. And remember that Christ is merciful. Christ is merciful. Nothing can separate you from his love. He is long-suffering. He's patient. And every sin that you've committed against him was already paid for on the cross. Be motivated by his love for you. Being motivated by his love for you, stop being who you were and be who you are. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this encouragement this exhortation from your word this morning is so important for us to remember that by your great mercy we who were once not a people are a people and we who were running hard and fast away from you have been forgiven and called your sons what amazing love that you would call sinners like us your children and we ask O lord that in light of this transformation that you have started in us and you will continue that you would help us to be convicted to stop living like our old selves and start walking in the Spirit in the newness of life. Help us, O God, to hate our sin and to confess it to you, to continue to receive your ongoing grace and mercy and to also, by your grace, live for you. We we want to be like Christ, O Lord. That is our highest desire, and we know that you are working to that end. Help us to yield to the Spirit and keep in step with him. All of this for the praise of your glorious name. In Christ we pray. Amen.